a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Today, I'm going to talk about the Greek Old Testament. Now, before your eyes glaze over and you say, why would he do this? There's some really good reasons why, not the least of which is the New Testament. Whenever it quotes from the Old Testament books or the existing Jewish canon at the time, it's quoting from the Greek Old Testament. That's right. You might say to yourself, well, the Jews spoke Hebrew, and so they should be writing in Hebrew, and we should want to look at a Hebrew Old Testament. That sounds logical, but what happened is that in about 596, 98 B.C., Israel was conquered by Babylonia, and the Jews were all exiled. And after a few hundred years, you get yourself down to about 300 B.C., and you have this situation where Alexander the Great conquers all the known world, and everybody speaks Greek. It's a little bit like today. Everybody speaks English. 300 B.C., because of Alexander the Great conquering all of the known world, everybody spoke Greek. Very soon after that, the Jews started to worry. Their kids were all speaking Greek. They were losing the ability to speak Hebrew as well as they had before. And so they decided to do something that today sounds odd, but it was very important and very logical at the time. They commissioned a Greek Bible, in essence. Of course, there was no single book, but what they did was they had translated into Greek by Jewish scholars all of the important books of what we would today call the Old Testament. And it's that Greek Old Testament and some additional books that aren't even in our Old Testament today, the apocryphal books and, and a number of others. All of these were in Greek, and that's what was quoted in the New Testament. Let's give some examples of why this is important, because you say, well, if the, if the translation was really good, they would say the same thing. It doesn't quite work out that way. Here's some examples that everyone will really like. And another important thing to, to point out is that today, most all of our Old Testaments that we're looking at aren't the Greek ones that were quoted by the New Testament Christian church. 
they come from Hebrew stuff. Why? Because Jerome retranslated the Old Testament in 400 AD. So it's kind of this hodgepodge. So here's why it makes a difference. We read in Genesis, let's let's pick a really simple story that everyone will know. Joseph and his coat of many colors. You might think, well, okay, I know about that. And you find that, of course, in, in Genesis. But here's what happens. In the Latin Vulgate and the Septuagint, meaning the Greek Old Testament, it's described as a multicolored coat. But in the Hebrew in the Hebrew version, it doesn't say that. It says that it's an ornamental coat. It had something written on it. There are some Latter-day Saints, like you Nibley, that thinks what was written on it were what we would call temple writings, uh, or shall we say garment markings, or something along those lines. So does it matter if the coat was a multicolored one? or one that had priesthood markings, yeah, that's a really big thing. And so it's important to know whether or not the New Testament writers are quoting from the Greek Old Testament, which they almost always are, or whether they're quoting from something else, which is very, very rare. And it's also important to know that our Old Testaments today look like Hebrew versions far more than they look like Greek ones. And they're, they're, that leads to many kind of odd things that you may or may not have noticed when you read through the New Testament. Let's take a look at some examples. If we go to some of the really important books of the Hebrew Bible for the New Testament writers. You would be looking at Sirach, Wisdom of Solomon, Tobit, Second Maccabees. You might say, um, I don't even know that much about those books because they're not in our Old Testament. And, and that's right. And another one we could throw in there would be the book of Enoch. And so we have this tradition where Jesus is called the Son of Man over and over and over again in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, that's the most often quoted way that he is described in the New Testament, the Son of Man. That's what he uses to describe himself. And people say often, and and so do I, I'm one of them, that that comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and from Daniel chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. And that's true, but it's only partially true because the Son of Man phrase also comes from First Enoch chapters 37 through 71. And so you have this apparent situation where the New Testament writers were probably aware of Daniel and 1st Enoch, because we know they quote from 1st Enoch in many other places, like the book of Jude. 
And so the New Testament writers are quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. Let's take another example or two, and you, you can see how this works and, and why it's really important. One of the things that we read about is the Shema. That's the Old Testament statement about God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Or some versions of that say, the Lord our God is one. The Shema is used in the New Testament, and it's sort of reformulated or recast, for example, in 1 Corinthians. Paul restates the Shema in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. But for us, there is one God. Sounds like the Shema. For us, there is one God, the Father, for whom are all things and for whom we exist. But then he goes on and says, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Close quote. So Paul's citation here doesn't mean that he doesn't understand the Shema or that he's misquoting it by adding a phrase about Jesus. He just has a little bit different theology. And so he is going to describe it in a little bit different way. And the way he describes it is from the Greek Old Testament point of view, not from the Hebrew Old Testament point of view. And when I say Greek, that's the Jewish version that was translated into Greek. The earliest version of the Hebrew Old Testament Bible dates to about 1000 A.D., The earliest Greek is much, much earlier and dates to about 300 B.C., so much earlier. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you have a question or comment about this program or any others, feel free to send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com. I'm going to restate the idea behind today's show because it's a little bit convoluted, but it's really important to know. That is that The Hebrew-speaking Jews, after Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world in 300 B.C., started to speak Greek. And so many of the Jews, especially the younger generation, began to understand 
Greek better than they understood Hebrew. And so because of that, those who were part of the Jewish tradition had the Old Testament translated into Greek. That Old Testament translation is called the Septuagint. It means 70. It comes from the tradition that there were six translators out of each of the 12 tribes, 72 in total, and they did the translation, and it was miraculous because all their translations were the same. And so whether you believe that part of the story or not, that's where the name Septuagint came from. It means 70 in, in Greek. That's the reference to the Old Testament. So we have in the New Testament many, many places where Paul and Peter and the gospel writers are quoting from the Greek Old Testament. They don't quote from the Hebrew, almost never. Here, here are some examples. We have the idea in the Old Testament of Jehovah, Yahweh. He is the God of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have a Greek word, kurios, referring to Jesus. And he's the Lord. It's translated as Lord in English Bibles. So the Septuagint uses the word kurios as well. The Septuagint is the Greek Old Testament. The New Testament authors use that word kurios to refer to Jesus. And they are making the incredible claim, but one upon which Christianity is founded, that Jesus of Nazareth is to be identified as Yahweh or Jehovah. So it's not just Latter-day Saints that think Jesus was the God of the Old Testament. This is something that you find in the New Testament itself. Every time you find Jesus mentioned or referenced as Lord, because Lord came from the Greek kurios, and the Greek kurios was the Greek translation of Yahweh or Jehovah. Let's take a look at some other quite amazing examples of of how this works. If we go to Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 7, Mark has this statement here of Jesus quoting from Isaiah 29, verse 13. What was keeping the people from true worship? Well, Mark says that it comes from the Septuagint version of Isaiah 29, 13. The people were obsessed with human traditions and teachings. But if you go to the Hebrew version of Isaiah 29, 13, it says something different than Mark does. It says they were prevented from true worship because they sought to follow only the formal aspects of the religion. So Mark, in his gospel, follows the Greek Old Testament, as he quotes from it. Another striking example of a gospel writer referring to the Greek Old Testament is found in, um, well, here's an Isaiah quote. It's found in Luke's gospel. 
in chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah to declare that his ministry has, among other things, recovering, or he's going to recover sight to the blind. In other words, Jesus is going to do a bunch of things and also make the blind so they can see. That's not in the Hebrew version of Isaiah 61, verse 1. This is a direct citation from the Septuagint, the Greek version of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. So Luke also is following the Greek Old Testament. This is quite a remarkable thing. Over and over again, if you look in the New Testament and it will have Jesus saying, and the scriptures say this, or Paul or Peter, or any of the other writers say, and as the scriptures say, and then they go on and quote, often you will not be able to find it or understand where it came from because we are reading from Hebrew translations into English and the New Testament writers were reading from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Bible. Let's take a look at a few more examples in in the time remaining. These are just really, really kind of fun and also help you understand the New Testament a little bit better. If you take a look at Hebrews, Peter, John, James, Jude, and Revelation, all of these show evidences of the author's use of the Septuagint. For the epistle to the Hebrews, there's absolutely no question. Hebrews has a dependence on the Septuagint in its Greek revisions. There are around three dozen direct citations and around two dozen allusions. The author frequently changes the citations so that they resemble the Septuagint. And if you try to go back and find them in our Old Testaments, you can't do that because ours today are based on later Hebrew versions. The Septuagint translation of Genesis chapter 41, verse 31, is an example. We find the parting words of Jacob to his son Joseph. And the Greek Old Testament translator, the Septuagint translator, misread the Hebrew bed as staff, since both nouns have the same consonant spelling. They look the same in Hebrew. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, the writer quotes from the Septuagint. And so you wind up with this, quote, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, borrowing in worship over the top of his staff. What the writer really meant was while he was bowed himself on the head of his bed. So here, the translation from the Septuagint probably isn't so good, but in most other cases, it really is excellent and probably in most cases, a much better translation. If you would like to read a fascinating book that's easy to read. It's 
scholarly but easy to read, and it's not particularly long on this subject, go find a copy of When God Spoke Greek. Kind of a fascinating and catchy topic. The author is Timothy Michael Law, and it's published by Oxford Press. So, you know, it's it's a quality book. When God Spoke Greek, it talks about the Greek that's used for the translation of the Bible in a number of other places. That's probably the best single citation of which I am aware. So there you have it. The New Testament authors all quoted from the Greek Old Testament, not the Hebrew Old Testament. And all of the New Testament was originally written as near as we can tell, because all the manuscripts are this way. The New Testament was written in Greek. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.